When Solomon said there was a time and a place for everything, Shirley had not encountered the travails of junior high. But during those formative years, there was truly a time for all things. A time to dance, a time to sing, a time to date, and yes, even a time to fight. Relive these pivotal triumphs and pitfalls with Pat McCarthy as he recalls a series of first-time experiences within the walls of Lynn Haven Junior High School. First Date, written by Pat McCarthy, narrated by Bo Pritchard. In the spring of my ninth grade school year, I can remember going on my first date. It wasn't actually a date without parents, but it was close enough. It was a double date, which at the time seemed like a good idea. A double date meant that I wouldn't have to rely on my complete and utter lack of wisdom in the field of romance. My only concept of romance at the time was going with someone, which simply meant that you were in some way connected to that other person by a phone call in which the guy in the relationship would ask the girl if she would go with him. Going with someone could last for many months, and although the ground rules were very vague as to what you were supposed to do while going out, the one thing I did understand was that if someone called you on the phone and told you they no longer wanted to go with you, the relationship was over. If I may digress for a moment, in the sixth grade I can remember making this phone call at my best friend's house. There was a cute girl in my class named Susie Barrett whom I had known for several years and I had decided perhaps with the encouragement of my best friend Bo to ask her to go with me. With a sick feeling in my stomach I dialed her number. I wasn't quite sure what I would say but I knew that at some point I would have to utter the phrase, will you go with me? Let me add that before this day I don't think I had ever had a real conversation with Susie. I'll admit that I sat at her table during lunch and spoke suavely to her about video games with a mouthful of ho-hos, but other than that, we really didn't communicate all that much. One fateful day, I decided to make the call. As the phone rang, my hands were shaking. To add to my anxiety, her older brother answered the phone. Hello? A deep voice resonated through the earpiece. Um, uh, is Susie there? My charm was in high gear. Susie, the phone! Her brother called, indifferent to my suffering. Hello? Susie spoke, sounding much like she did in class. W will you go with me? I asked, realizing that timing was everything. Who is this? Susie sounded puzzled. Pat, I admitted. Pat who? Pat Perry? Susie was trying to get to the bottom of this. Pat McCarthy? I answered, sounding doubtful even to myself. There was a long silence. Will you go with me? I said again, as if she didn't hear it the first time. No. Um, okay, thanks, bye. With that, I hung up and went to confer with my romance advisor. Bo said he could hear the no from where he was standing. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. I have to admit that walking into class the next day was slightly awkward. 
I kind of played it off like it was simply a moment of insanity. Yes, it hurt, but not really true heartbreak, more like a painful awareness that there was much risk involved when it came to romance. It would take me several years to realize that it was a risk worth taking. Which brings us back to the spring of 1984, when I was 15 years old. I spent many of my weekend evenings riding my bike up to the local baseball field with my friends. I really wasn't interested in the sport. In fact, I was probably one of the worst players to ever put on a uniform. When you're on deck and the coach tells you to lean into the ball, you start to reconsider your athletic prowess. I have to admit that I did catch one pop fly during my short career, albeit without a glove. You see, for me, the glove actually hindered my catching ability. On more than one occasion, the ball landed in my glove and rolled out, so I decided it would be better to simply shed the glove and catch the ball. It worked at least once, but the coaches were a little puzzled by my unorthodox playing style. After taking more than one for the team, I decided to move on to something else. Although baseball didn't quite pan out, It didn't prevent me from heading up to the local field with some friends on warm evenings to cruise chicks and consume unhealthy food. Chili dogs, Chico sticks, and Pepsi. Cruising chicks was a slang term for trying to meet girls while using some form of transportation, be it a bike or for the lucky few, a car. We made our way to the field on our worksman beach cruisers. With high handlebars, cushioned seats, and white wall tires, there was no lack of confidence. Travis, Bo, and I believe that in some way we were God's gift to women. Let's face it, when the height of your coolness is raising your handlebar tips so that they point straight up to the sky, reality is not an active part of your vernacular. We rode our bikes to the baseball field like cowboys holding the perpendicular horns of bulls in a rodeo. Yes, we were uncomfortable, but man, were we cool. One night, my friends and I traveled to the baseball park for our usual activities. The baseball park consisted of three fields, one for each league with the biggest field at the entrance to the park. We would travel from field to field looking for friends, or better yet, girls. Occasionally, there would be a new babe who was not yet acquainted with the charms of our posse. On this particular night, there happened to be three new faces. We slowly guided our trusty steeds up to the bleachers where the girls were seated. Of course, we did not dismount. This actually served two purposes. On your bike, you obviously looked cooler. The high handlebars provided an allure that could not be matched on foot. The second purpose was of a practical nature. If these babes were not captivated by our repartee, dashing good looks, and chaps cologne, then we could make a fast getaway. Bo, being the only one who had any real charisma, was the designated ringleader. Looking a bit like Matthew Broderick, Bo always had the upper hand when it came to girls. Unfortunately, I was the middleman in this arrangement. I can recall on more than one occasion having a girl approach me for a conversation that led back to whether or not I could put in a good word to Bo on her behalf. Although it wasn't the perfect arrangement, it did have its perks. 
On this particular night, it was not necessary for even the leader to make the first move. A young blonde approached and caught us off guard. Somewhat stunned, I slipped from the seat of my bike and slammed onto the crossbar. Hi, she spoke. A high-pitched squeal emanated from my mouth. Are you okay? She asked with concern. Um, yeah, I... I managed. My brother is playing for the Cardinals. I came to the game with my friends, Kristen and Jennifer. My name's Noel. Kristen and Jennifer walked up behind Noel. Don't mind Pat. He, um, he's still recovering from a baseball injury, Bo spoke. It was normally I who would stumble through the conversation for the rest of the group, while the others could just sit back and look cool posing on their bikes. Yes, Bo was the ringleader, but I was the spokesperson. Tonight, after possibly ruining my chances of fatherhood, I let Bo do some of the talking. When my voice sounded human again, I set in with my best material. So, um, what, uh, what are y'all doing at the ballpark? I asked. I told you, my brother Charlie plays for the Cardinals, Noel retorted. The Cardinals, yeah, yeah, um, you know, the Cardinals is the state bird, I added with confidence. A soft giggle came from the short-haired girl, Kristen, standing behind Noel. Kristen covered her mouth, trying to hide the laughter. It was apparent that my knowledge of the state bird wasn't working. I looked to my friends for help. What's so funny? I asked, embarrassed. You've left Noel speechless, Kristen responded, smiling. Well, I, um, yeah, thanks, I added, realizing for the first time that I, too, possessed charm. Two weeks later, after many scintillating phone conversations, it was time to move on to the next step. A date. My first date. My nerves were in high gear as I prepared for the momentous occasion. The one thing that put my mind at ease was that it would be a double date. I would simply take my cues from Bo. After all, Bo knew what he was doing. He understood women. After showering for 45 minutes, I put on three coats of antiperspirant and two pumps of styling gel. In addition to the hair and body armor, I wore my favorite overpriced surf shop t-shirt with my irresistible gray knockoff members-only jacket. As I looked at myself in the mirror, I thought, how could she resist this? My parents agreed to drive us to and from the mall where we would be dropped off to see Footloose at 7 p.m. and they would pick us up at 9.30 p.m. A movie was the perfect arrangement for a first date. You only had to talk for a short while, thus limiting the damage you could do if you had to rely on your wit to carry you through the evening. In fact, I figured that I really only had to speak for about 10 to 15 minutes if things went well. On the drive to and from the movie, it wasn't necessary to speak because parents were around. In fact, in most cases, it was frowned upon. During the movie, it was rude to speak, so I was pretty much clear of any real danger. I studied up on my pop culture trivia, the hottest bands, coolest movies, and the newest video games. I easily had enough material for 20-25 minutes. My parents drove the Big Blue to pick up the girls. The Big Blue was a light blue Buick station wagon with matching blue leather interior. It seated between eight to nine people. 
The coolest feature about the wagon was that it had a pop-up seat in the back that faced the rear. Of course, on the night in question, the big blue was at capacity seating. Dad, my sister and mom sat in the front seat. I sat in the middle seat with Kristen and my little brother Kevin, who was eight at the time. Bo sat in the pop-up seat with Jennifer in the back. My parents were in the process of multitasking while driving us to the mall for our date. My sister was being dropped off for a sleepover at a friend's house, and Kevin was having his friend Brian Simmons picked up to stay at our house. At this time, it is imperative to share some information about Mr. Simmons. Brian was eight, but had the physique of a five-year-old. To make up for his lack of stature, Brian used various oral skills to establish his presence, including, but not limited to, noises, curse words, blasphemy, and calling his parents by their first names. Now, in the case of the latter, he did not speak his parents' names in the endearing way of, say, Scout and Jim and To Kill a Mockingbird, but more as an attempt to bring them into a state of apoplexy. Brian was the master when it came to parent first name calling. First, he would quietly sit in the back of the van and wait until they were traveling on the interstate. Next, when there was no possible place to pull over, Brian would begin. Ralph! Agnes! What the hell are you driving so fast for? Are you trying to kill us? The drive to the mall went pretty smoothly. Everyone was dead silent. I had not seen Kristen since our first encounter at the baseball field. She was as cute as I remembered. Bo's date was flat out stunning. Jennifer was definitely part of the A group. Bo, with the self-assurance of James Bond, never let on that he was out of his league. But we both knew When we pulled up to the mall, I muttered a thanks to my parents, wanting to look somewhat indifferent. After all, what's adolescence without indifference towards your parents? Do you have enough money? My father added loudly as we walked towards the entrance. Yes, I responded, maintaining my coolness with a dose of agitation for effect. As my parents drove away, we all awkwardly walked into the mall entrance, not speaking. After entering the doors, we stood staring at each other. We better get the tickets. Footloose has been known to sell out. Kevin Bacon is hot, you know. I finally blurted to fill the silence. I mean, um, those who know such things, I mean, some people think he's hot. I don't personally think that he's hot. Not that I know which guys are hot or not. I finally stopped myself before digressing into a speech on my masculinity. The others seemed relieved. Yeah, let's get the tickets, Kristen added. Although we had had many great conversations on the phone, in person things had changed. Sounding cool on the phone was much easier than trying to look cool and sound cool at the same time. Of course, Bo hadn't even broken a sweat. In fact, I don't think he'd opened his mouth yet. The shy, mysterious thing worked for him. As I reached the counter, I spoke with determination. Two tickets for full loose. Excuse me? The young female responded. You mean foot loose? You know, Kevin Bacon is hot. Yeah, I know. I groaned. I mean, I've heard that. Thanks. As we walked toward the ticket taker, a certain video game caught my eye. WWF WrestleMania. Now I could redeem myself. There was one thing I could do. It was play video games. 
I would prove to these girls that I was a man. I walked up to the game, still tense from the circumstances. I placed my quarter in the machine with determination. I could feel the tide changing. I was off to a good start with my first opponent in the game. I was going for the finishing move when all of a sudden, my opponent lifted me up in the air and body slammed me to the map four times in a row. Agitated, I began to yell at the screen. The controls were unresponsive. In desperation, I pulled up on the controllers, lifting them right off the console. A thin piece of metal was the only thing that prevented them from separating. The innards of the machine were exposed. Realizing that I had gone too far, I let go of the controllers and faced my audience. Jennifer and Kristen bowed their heads, avoiding my eyes. Man, you showed him, Bo added. We presented our tickets and walked to the concession stand. I asked Kristen if she wanted something. No, that's okay, she replied cautiously, afraid that my temper might show up again. No, come on, what about some popcorn or a drink? I cajoled, determined to do something right. Okay, she spoke more out of fear than anything else. I'll have two medium Cokes and two medium popcorns. That'll be ten dollars. The freckle-faced adolescent spoke from behind the counter. I opened my wallet, forgetting I only had four dollars left. I looked at the adolescent's name tag and spoke, trying to sound authoritative. Brad, I've changed my mind. Hook me up with two small Cokes and two small popcorns. That'll be six dollars, Brad said, somewhat irritated that I was holding up the line that was now fifteen people deep. Brad, on second thought... Make it two small popcorns and two ice waters, trying to salvage a shred of dignity. We're out of courtesy cups. Wait here. I have these, Brad responded, smiling. He pulled out two Dixie cups. You know the ones they have in a dispenser and bathrooms to hold water for rinsing after brushing? To be honest, the last time I used one was at the doctor's office having to give a urine sample. You want ice in that? Brad snickered. That's okay, I muttered. I handed Kristen her refreshments and we walked to theater number seven, holding our small popcorns and order samples. The theater was packed, so we had to sit in the front row. I was hoping we could sit in the back. I'd had enough stage time already. Once I sat down, I attempted to place my drink in the cup holder, but it simply fell through and hit the sticky floor, splattering on my pants. Next, I placed my popcorn in the holder. It almost slipped through as well, but it managed to hold because of the old chewing gum that lined the interior. With my hands free, I began to relax. Yes, the evening had been a little bumpy, but now I could enjoy a good movie. For the next hour, things went well. After about halfway through the movie, I noticed Bo lift his hands high in the air, stretching his arms. When he brought his arms down, he placed his right arm around Jennifer. After seeing this, I felt obligated to follow suit. I waited for five minutes to make sure it didn't look premeditated. If there was one thing I knew about women, they liked spontaneity. After waiting for the right moment, I lifted my hands over my head. Kristen was seated to my left, so I would be working with my left arm and hand. I might add that I was not a southpaw. 
To be honest, I wasn't a North Paul either. I dramatically stretched with the theatricality of a seasoned Shakespearean actor and threw in a yawn for good effect. Everyone behind me knew what was taking place, except for Kristen, of course. As I brought my arm down for the landing, my elbow connected rather forcefully with Kristen's eye socket. Ouch! That's gotta hurt! exclaimed the man directly behind me. Honey, are you okay? spoke a concerned woman four rows back. Kristen placed her head in her hands and kept it that way for many minutes. I thought she was crying, but it was hard to tell in the dark. Do you need some ice? I asked, worried. No, please no, Kristen mustered a response. Is everything okay? Jennifer asked. I need to use the restroom. Will you please join me? Kristen asked Jennifer. The two girls left the theater. Beau looked over smiling. He knew I was having a rough time. It's not so bad, he added. When the girls came back, Kristen was still holding her eye. She'll be okay, Jennifer spoke to me, smiling. After the movie was over, we quietly walked out of the theater. Kristen did not look directly at me for the rest of the evening. When we exited the mall, I could see Big Blue waiting for us by the curb. Jennifer and Bo climbed into the back. As I opened the car door to the middle seat, I cringed when I saw Brian Simmons with mischief painted all over his round little face. Oh, I had forgotten he was spending the night at our house. I stepped into the station wagon first, attempting to shield Kristen from the unavoidable onslaught. First date, Pat? Brian asked, eager to open the door to my misery. I shrunk in my seat, hoping to disappear. Maybe if I remained silent, he would leave me alone, I thought. Pat, my brother wanted me to ask you if you got to first base. Brian attempted to be discreet by lowering his volume, but unfortunately Brian did not possess a library voice. Once again, I tried desperately to appear invisible, but Brian was having none of it. He leaned over me to take a long look at Kristen, who was staring out the window as if she were praying. After staring for an uncomfortably long period of time, Brian resumed his normal position. He was obviously agitated by something. For five minutes, he sat still as if he were trying to solve a puzzle. Next, he leaned over me again to take a second look at Kristen. Brian cleared his throat loudly and stated, <coughs> Tim, addressing my father, Yes, Brian, my father responded wearily. Tim, we've got a problem, Brian added. What's wrong? My father tried to sound concerned. How the hell am I supposed to know? I'm just a kid. All I know is that someone was playing baseball in the movie theater tonight, and now there's a girl sitting next to your son with a black eye. Maybe you should ask Pat to explain it to us. Brian was hot, and he wanted answers. Have mercy, my father spoke in resignation, placing his head in his hands as my mother grabbed the steering wheel. Coincidentally, every male in the car except for Brian had his head in his hands. There was a silent understanding within the car that there would never be an explanation. We were all on the same team. Brian would not be appeased, 
After several minutes of silence, he gave up. After parking in Kristen's driveway, I attempted to get out and say something, but she had already reached the porch of her house. She waved to my parents, indicating that she was okay. As we pulled away, Brian yelled out the window, He'll call you! After dropping off Jennifer, we headed home. Tim, when you get the chance, can you pull over? I need to drain the main vein, Brian added. It would be a long night. You've been listening to Episode 4, First Date, from the series First, written by Pat McCarthy and narrated by Bo Pritchard. This has been a Two Brothers Nostalgia production, copyright 2016. Join us soon for our next episode, First Kiss.